I'm Rob Dansman, and this is The Better Semester, where I provide insight and actionable advice to parents of college students. I'm a nationally certified counselor and licensed clinical mental health counselor, specializing in work with college students and their parents to improve mental health, organization, and motivation. Today, I'm talking about counseling and psychological services, also known as CAPS. I write and talk often about CAPS since it's the primary way universities provide mental health support to students. It might be more history than you wanted, but understanding the relationship between campus counseling centers and universities provides a solid context to understand why mental health isn't seamless today. While Princeton University is credited The earliest campus counseling centers started in the early 20th century and sprang from, or along with, on-campus medical facilities, which were referred to as infirmaries. While Princeton University is credited with starting the first on-campus mental health services, which focused on performance and personality development, the trend of providing psychological support to students didn't really start to take hold for several more decades. The next phase in college counseling services took the form of vocational and career counseling following World War II. These programs were set up to integrate GIs back into society as productive workers. The goal was prep for entering the workforce, though there was plenty of unofficial work being done to combat the psychological effects of war. It wasn't until the 1960s and 70s that college counseling services became part of the normal student support system. As colleges sought to delineate counseling from other health services, more programs began using the acronym CAPS. It's the blanket term used by colleges and universities to describe their short-term mental and behavioral health services, which often includes skill building and wellness workshops, individual counseling, psychiatric support, and group counseling. While most colleges don't have formal accredited CAPS programs, almost all provide some type of counseling service with an on-site clinician. For example, Grinnell College in Iowa has a comprehensive list of mental health services for Grinnellians. Yes, that's what they call themselves. Yet, refers to their program simply as counseling services. That's one example. Most formal CAPS programs and campus counseling centers are accredited by IACS, the International Association of Counseling Services, which provides a framework and standards for programs to understand, implement, and be held accountable to the best practices for mental health services on college campuses. For example, IACS standards indicate that CAPS programs should provide one professional staff member, like a counselor or psychologist, for every 1,000 to 1,500 students. Want to know if your son or daughter's university has an accredited CAPS program or how closely they meet IACS standards? Check the show notes for a link to the IACS website. Though most CAPS staff often have a graduate degree in mental health and may be licensed, it's not necessary for accreditation. I've worked with dozens of college counseling services and CAPS programs over the years and across the country and consider them an essential resource for students. In 2018, the American College Health Association's 2018 annual survey found that 60% of students experienced debilitating anxiety. 40% of students were too depressed to go to class or hang with friends, and 55% felt hopeless in the last year. Nearly 20% considered suicide, and about 1,100 commit suicide each year. Only 10-15% to of these students seek help at campus counseling services. 
These numbers were pre-pandemic. Since then, the numbers for psychological challenges have only increased while the number of students asking for and ultimately receiving help have arguably decreased. Even though a small percentage of students end up seeking help, CAPS programs should be one of the first places students go when they're struggling at school. The way students actually reach out for help are typically to their parents first, who end up frantically calling the school friends and local professionals. Next, students will often feel compelled to talk with professors because of slipping grades. RAs and RDs at the dorms are often tipped off by roommates and student advisors when a student is acting erratic or might be a harm to themselves or others. Unfortunately, there's no typical route students take towards finding help. What's the problem with these first responders? Well, none of them are trained in determining level of severity, appropriate intervention, or what resources are actually available. RAs and RDs get minimal training uh, at the beginning of most semesters. Once a student gets into the counseling center, a clinician will often conduct an intake assessment to determine safety risks and what type of intervention is needed. If a student has a more chronic issue like major depressive disorder or an eating disorder, they're often referred to a professional in the community. CAPS rarely recommends higher levels of care, even when, in my opinion, it's absolutely necessary. Since time is limited, clinicians at counseling programs will often be very goal-oriented with a focus on reducing symptoms. Not much time is spent developing rapport or understanding the underlying causes of the student's current challenges. It's not a failure on the clinician's part, but more of a function of how limited their time is. Now, here's a quick rundown of what I really like about CAPS programs in general. Most offer on-campus virtual support. What kid wants to walk to the parking lot, drive, pay the meter, go to counseling, then drive back to the dorm? Not many. Most CAPs are intentionally located in or close to campus health centers and super accessible to most students. A really good example is the University of Notre Dame. They use something called Therapist Assisted Online, or TAO, for how-to videos and actual counseling sessions. Next, Clinicians typically have a solid understanding of student life. Staff at CAPS often live within the same community as the university and have at least a basic idea of what's happening around campus. Next, CAPS are nearly frictionless when it comes to payment and insurance. Most CAPS are either included in student fees or are offered at a reduced fee after the first few sessions. Almost all CAPs that do charge also accept insurance. Lastly, CAPs are not financially driven. Though CAPs programs are almost always underfunded, my opinion here, not necessarily a fact, I've never had a conversation with any dean, director, or CAPs clinician who has talked about quote-unquote more billable hours, the same way I hear community-based clinicians talk. There's no profit motive here, since their funding is often a big chunk of money from a large university pot. All right, so to counterbalance this, here's my list of what can make CAPS programs even better. They can do more to build stronger ties with local community. Why doesn't every CAPS program and counseling center connect with local providers the way that the University of Florida does? 
It's mind boggling that CAPS often operates as if they are in competition with community clinicians, or at least seemingly ignorant of community clinicians. Next up, I wish they offered, or maybe even mandated, yearly training on college student mental health issues. Every student at nearly every university and college is required to have insurance. They are required to participate in orientation. They are required to live in the dorms for the first year. Why not mandate one class, for credit of course, on self-care, mental health, healthy relationships? Retention rates would go up, costs of running CAPS would decrease, professors wouldn't call people like me asking for advice on how to handle a suicidal student. Next, while many schools have improved on this, I wish they had a more visible presence on campus. Think about the college you went to. Were you ever confused as to when a home football game was happening? Why does CAPS not market and promote themselves more and the good work they do? Come on, folks, get out of the office, hand out some t-shirts, get some face paint rocket. Every student should know how to access help before it's an emergency. Next up, I'd love to see them have greater engagement with faculty, administrators, and other staff. Most of my and my wife's friends are faculty members, and every social event that we have is the same thing, talking with them about how to handle student mental health in the classroom or in their office. I wish academic departments provided mandatory training on how to respond to student mental health issues. Faculty are not clinicians, yet are often acting as the first responders. Next, CAPS are generally not super tech friendly. There's no electronic med medical records. Ugh, this is so frustrating. This is a frustration I have with the whole field of mental health. It seems like so few individual or large counseling centers use electronic medical records for conducting intakes, writing session notes, or session scheduling. EMRs help coordinate with outside providers, make it easy for parents to get important health updates, and are more secure than paper files. Next, CAPS doesn't have any long-term care option. If a student has a more chronic issue like major depressive disorder or an eating disorder, they are often referred to a professional in the community like I said above. More and more schools are expanding their services since attrition rates due to substance use and mental health obstacles are strongly correlated. Between this issue of not offering long-term care and not having strong bonds with community-based providers, many schools experience unnecessary attrition when students' mental health needs go unmet. Okay, so you know the history of college counseling services. You know my opinion of how they could be better. So now let's talk about how to access them if your college kid is in need of support. Number one, get assessed. I recommend that if a parent's spidey sense is tingling that something is wrong or you have a freshman heading into the first week of classes and they have a history of depression or anxiety, go ahead and mandate your college kiddo go for an intake assessment within 48 hours of getting to school. While this seems like overkill and maybe even counterintuitive, your son or daughter may secretly appreciate not having to make a decision about whether to ask for help or not. It's better to do this before classes are in full swing and before grades have tanked and they feel terrible. Number two, set up the first session. Some schools now offer scheduling through an online student portal while others are super old school and you have to call or just walk in. 
Either way, I recommend parents don't leave this step up to students since setting up the first appointment can be confusing. To start, go to the school's website and in the pages search bar, look for counseling services or CAPS. They typically are associated with Student Life or Campus Health Center. Number three, get a release of information signed. I get it that a student's private academic and healthcare information should be kept private, but when it comes to the parents investing big money each semester, CAPS should at least provide a regular update on the medical and mental health status. My argument here is that this is often the first time their college kid is struggling with mental health issues outside of their home and with little regular oversight or check-ins. As soon as your kiddo gets into the initial session, make sure they sign a release of information so that you and the counseling center can exchange information. I have a whole podcast episode on FIRMA and HIPAA. You should listen to this. Number four, lastly, follow-up. Make sure that your kiddo follows up with you and lets you know the results of the intake and what recommendations they had. It's not a bad idea to get the clinician's name that saw your son or daughter and call them first thing in the morning or on a Friday. It's essential that parents hear exactly what the outcome and recommendations were so that the student can be held accountable and supported. When you talk with your kiddo and the clinician, make sure to ask what the next steps are and how to implement them. If they are recommending weekly individual counseling, make sure your son or daughter has appointments already set up that they don't interfere with classes. Some CAPS programs are so slammed with students, they'll eject students from future appointments if they miss too many. In summary, we trust colleges to provide all the important stuff a young adult needs when they are first away from home. But as we've covered, serving the mental health needs of students requires parents to be proactive and a bit savvy. College is stressful, but with early intervention and the support of caring college professionals like those found on any campus, your son or daughter can thrive. That's it for this episode on working with CAPS. For more information, check out my blog at motivatecounseling.com or my two books on Amazon. Just search for my name, Rob Dansman.